Welcome back. Halford and Bruff, Monday morning here on Sportsnet 650. Happy Family Day. I'm Jamie Dodd filling in for Mike Halford, who's uh, temporarily on the shelf. This hour of Halford and Bruff is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Also, by Primetime Craft Beer, meticulously brewed for quality and taste, Primetime Craft Beer is full flavor without compromise at a liquor store near you or visit the brewery to see how it's made. We are coming to you live from the Kintec studio. Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? And Halford would say, Kintec. Kintec, of yeah, course. Yeah, yeah. Kintec. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah. You, don't, you don't have to do the it. The alley-oop situation. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. If you do it, feel free to try an accent or two. Mm-hmm. We encourage that. I'm we probably we, not going to do that. We That's where ha- I draw the line. We have a lot of failed um, alley-oops, like the NBA All-Star game. Yes, yeah. That a lot was... of sloppy play. Cancel all All Star games. Yeah, except, we can get into except that at maybe some point. baseball. Yeah, even, even then, <laughs> just do the derby. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, six fifty, six fifty is the Dunbar Lumber text line and uh, open segment here. We'll talk to Joe O'Donnell, who does the radio play by play for the Minnesota Wild Canucks and Wild playing uh, in just three hours in Minnesota. It's a holiday in the states as well, so some morning hockey here on Sportsnet six fifty. Coming up, but uh, before then, we have a chance to take some of your texts. And, you know, I did want to get back into the conversation a little bit we were having in the first segment about the top six. Is it inconsistent? Is it clicking at the level it needs to? Also, Elias Pettersson, is he that kind of reliable superstar uh, that you feel really, really good about on a a game-to-game basis? And uh, I did, like, I think it was Sam texted in. Uh, if this is what PD does when he's struggling, then I, I can't wait to see what he does when he's playing well. Because as yeah. we said, he's going to go. Well, we've seen it. Yeah, we've uh, seen it. I mean, I, I like the two way element. I agree is not mm-hmm. has not been there uh, to the level it has. But I do wonder how much of the frustration with the top six right now is the fact that the power play is really struggling. The last right. power play goal the Canucks scored was February sixth yeah. in Carolina. So you go. So they went the Boston game. They went both Detroit games, the Washington game, Chicago game, and then probably most punishingly, Mm -hmm. uh, the Winnipeg game where they went 0 for 5 and the Winnipeg Jets went 2 for 4 and the Winnipeg Jets won by two goals. That's tough. If you go almost two weeks, and we'll see what they do today, without a power play goal – it's going to be really hard to look at your top six and think they're playing well in that yeah. stretch, right? Now, that's not an excuse because it's it's their job to go out and play uh, and do well on the power play. But I also have a lot of faith in this unit figuring it out ultimately on the power play. It would be much more concerning to me if they had played really poorly five on five against the Jets, but gone two for three on the power play to hang in it and still lost. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Rather than what happened, which was, Hey, they didn't get a power play goal. They didn't look great on the man advantage, but for the run of the game at five on five, I thought they were clearly the better team that becomes even more important in the playoffs. And that's really what we're talking about here, right? Like even the conversation about, you know, is Pedersen reliable? I think what we're kind of getting at without naming it is what's he going to do in the playoffs? Because that's Mm -hmm. what the remainder of this season is about, is just seeing how do the Canucks shape up for the playoffs? What do we think is going to happen? And I would way rather have results like Saturday where, hey, they're way better at five on five with the power play is struggling than the reverse, because that five on five is what really, really counts once you get to the postseason. That being said, 
um, the power play doesn't go away. Nope. In, you still want it working. And you still need the big special teams goal. Uh, I think the PK has been, despite allowing two goals, I think it's been one of the positive stories from the season. It's vastly improved up to average, <laughs> league yeah. average. Don't you? And, and, I, and I think like the first power play that they killed on Saturday against the Jets, the Jets had nothing. Mm-hmm. Um, the first power play goal that they allowed, I thought the PK was doing a pretty good job, and one just snuck through Demko, so I'm not going to put that – on the skaters, I'm sure it was a bit unlucky for Demko. He probably wanted that one back. Um, and then you got to credit the Jets for a nice goal on their second power play goal. They worked the puck down low. Um, they did kind of like the Horvat play when mm-hmm. he was still here, and Monahan was in that that role, and he scored. Although it was a bit of like a knuckle puck shot, so there was a bit of luck there. But overall, the PK has been. It's not an elite penalty kill yet, but I think it's been steadily improving this season, um, and I don't think you can say that the power play has been steadily improving. I actually really liked how they started the season with the power play with the more movement. Mm -hmm. Like, I liked – I like having movement. I don't don't like having – set areas where like this is my spot get away from here this is where i'm like i'm the half wall guy here but has it gone maybe too far with the movement well, the th- i don't know that it's, it's always a fine line i don't know that it's gone too far with the movement because to me the biggest issue with the power play is that jt miller is not on the half wall right now right and he is either net front or the bumper for an awful lot of the time mm-hmm. and as much as i agree with you that you have to have that flexibility and that movement you also don't want to take guys out consistently from where they're best. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Right? Like, and, should you go back to a I, little bit more but, of but like think, the JT's got the half? But wall. I think the interesting thing is that I don't think he's like. It would be one thing if he was starting there, and then because of the movement, he was getting to other places. Right. He's not even starting there. Yeah, that's what he should be starting me. there. He you know what I mean? Like there, to yeah. me, it's like okay, that's your your home base mm-hmm. where you're going to be. If other opportunities come up, great, pursue that, go there. But to me, it's he's starting net front or he's starting somewhere else, and he never even gets the chance. So who's the half wall there. then? It's been like Besser, Besser a lot yeah. of the time, right? Lindholm a little bit, but Lindholm's been mostly in the middle as well. But mm. I, I don't really see – I guess you're trying to set up the bumper play to Lindholm. You want a left-hand shot from down low to do that or something, but Miller's just so good at that role. Miller's an incredible passer. Yes. And – He's a bit of a gunslinger, so once in a while he'll throw a seam pass that gets picked off, and you know we've seen what happens when that occurs, and there is a bit of a, a risk to his passing sometimes, mm-hmm. and he turns into like the Brett Favre of the power play out there sometimes. But Brett Favre was a hell of a football player, right? There, you know, Look at him. he's like and, a kid, and like I find right now, Petey is skating himself into problems, mm-hmm. and he's throwing a lot of passes at shin pads and then the Canucks have been caught a few times with defenders like forwards who are defending and it doesn't go well and they've given up their share of uh, shorthanded goals especially lately Um, I would like them to get back to JT Miller being the guy that's making the big passes out there like I, I I I don't know if they'll do that. I think they probably will try it because it's been a while now that the Canucks haven't been very good on the power play. And there was just kind of a sense against the Jets. And one of the things that happens sometimes when a power play isn't clicking is guys do 
the uh, F this, I'm going to do this myself. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we saw Petey nearly pull it off, the individual play. Um, But that's not the way to run it, right? That's not the way to like, okay, fine, I'm just going to do this myself. You need to still be a team out there. And right now there's just something off about it to the point where the coaching staff is always obviously like, okay, well, the second unit is probably going to get some more time now. I do wonder, though, how much of it from the coaching staff's perspective is if they look at it and think, okay, we know we have a configuration we can go back to and have a lot of confidence in. Let's try some other things to see what other wrinkles we might be able to find, because you do realistically, you have such a cushion in the standings right now. And yeah, you want to win your division which you're still the heavy, heavy favorite for. You would love to win the conference because that probably gets you an easier matchup in the first round. But for the most part, this these are tune-up games for the playoffs. So I do wonder if there's an element of, you know, because even Tockett, the way he was moving Lindholm around in the first week, right? And Tockett kind of acknowledged, okay, I got to give him some uh, some more steady line mates now. But I wonder how much of this is just gathering information, right? Like, hey, if we do hit the playoffs and we need to try something different on the power play, what does it look like with Besser on the half wall and JT Miller at the net front? Because other than that, it's just hard for me to kind of wrap my head around why they wouldn't move JT Miller back to that spot where they've had mm-hmm. so much success in the past. Um, let's go into the Dunbar Lumber text line. 650, 650, if you got any questions or comments. Hey, guys, happy family day. Unsigned text, so it must be from Gary. Could Petey's inconsistency be related to his lack of consistent line mates? You compared him to Quinn Hughes, who's played with Heronic for pretty much the whole year, uh, hoping he gets a long run with this Swedish line. Yeah, me too. I hope they just keep yep. these guys together. Uh, you don't, you don't necessarily, like if it's been five or seven games and they're still not doing something, feel free to mix it up. But Lindholm too needs to have an established spot. And it sounds like, you know, not only has, uh, you know, it sounds like Taka wants him to be a center. So not only has Pedersen been adjusting to different line mates and frankly, line mates that, you know, Mikheyev was one of them. Kuzmenko was one of them. Mm-hmm. Kuzmenko got traded. Mikheyev's now been dropped down the lineup. So what does it say about those guys? But now he's being asked to bump to the wing. So he has kind of been all over the place a little bit. So sure, that could be a factor. Yeah, the Hughes comparison Absolutely. is a good Absolutely. one. But also you think JT Miller's been yep. stapled to Brock Besser for pretty much the whole year. That, look... I can buy that a little bit. I but mean, does that have anything to do with, like, Petey sometimes just, like, fumbling right. the puck away? Because ultimately it's also, as much as I think they needed to go get Lindholm to bring in a running mate for Petey. And by the way, I know they lost, so maybe it's not the best time to make the comparison. How many minutes in the third period do you think Kuzmenko would have got in that game on Saturday? Yeah. Zero. Yeah, zero. <laughs> yeah, like, and, like, I was just watching and thinking. You're like, like well, yeah, I this, can't get there because I'm in the press box. This this is why they <laughs> traded Andre Kuzmenko for games yeah. just like that. Anyways, that was just something uh, that was occurred to me watching that game. But you could also easily make the argument, and I think there's some truth to this, that PD's job, and what we've seen him do in the past, to be fair, like, don't forget, he was instrumental in Andre Kuzmenko getting to 39 goals last year we've seen him elevate his teammates and that's what you're expecting so it, it like it's a double-edged sword because you want to give him the quality line mates that can complement his game and I think Lindholm can do that I don't think Hoaglander had the strongest game on Saturday but I think Hoaglander has the ability to do that as well but at a certain point you do need to see Elias Pettersson be able to thrive in any situation to elevate his teammates and to be fair 
like he's done that. I mean, he's mm-hmm. like, you know, you look at five on five scoring, he's right near the top of the league. So he has that capability. Couple related questions here as the March 8th trade deadline approaches. Kevin, the former cabbie, texts in if we want to add Tanev, how do we fit him in under the cap without trading Myers or someone in the same or a separate deal? And Austin and Langley texts in how many more moves total do you think the Canucks make? I think it's three. If the line was set at two and a half, what would you take? I'd probably take the under. I on would that. take the under. I would, I would probably take say the under two, one or two. Yeah, maybe. I think we see. So I still depth defenseman maybe and another winger. Yeah, another winger, penalty killing forward, something like that. Winger with size. We've heard they want. I mean, I think they missed Dakota Joshua on Saturday, for sure. Um, I still think that they're. There's a I don't want to say a good chance because there's so much demand for Tanev. I think there's still very much a chance that they end up with Chris Tanev at the end of the day. So and how do you make that happen? Do you move Mikheyev? Mikheyev or Zadorov would be yeah. the other option. Now, mm-hmm. we know they really like the physicality of Zadorov, but I was watching that game. And, you know, the interesting thing with Noah Juleson is he made those mistakes in the third period. But he only finished with, like, just over seven minutes of ice time and even strength mm-hmm. in that game. And now there's a lot of power play time and penalty time in that game. But, like, even before the mistakes, he wasn't playing a lot. And I was kind of laughing because I think it was on our show on Friday. We were talking about Chris Tanev, and people were texting in, you know, how much how much better is Chris Tanev than Noah Juleson even at this point? <laughs> I was like, well, <laughs> pretty significantly, I still think. And I was just watching that game thinking – you do still have a place in your lineup where Chris Tannick would be a huge upgrade. It's just a question of are they willing to pay the price when so many other teams are going to be uh, you know, vying for Chris Tannick. But if I had to bet, I bet we see one more move on the blue line, whether it's Chris Tannick or other, mm-hmm. and one more move up front. Do you think the fans would be upset if Zadorov got traded? I think they would be. I think the majority of fans have liked what they've seen from Zadorov. Although he is quite clearly a third pair guy, he played fourteen oh, yeah. forty on total ice time. He was out there on the PK for almost three minutes. Um, but I just think they want a guy like that mm-hmm. in the playoffs. And obviously, the gritty added <laughs> a little bit more. And he, he is, had a good night. He, he's got Detroit. like a, you know, yeah, he's got he's, he's got, got the an, personality. The gritty earned him one extra year on his contract. Yeah, he's got a, he's got that old school kind of like I stick up for my yeah. teammates. That that's what I do. And fans like guys like that. And fans have maybe seen not enough of that from the Canucks over the last. Speaking few of that, years. when Phil DiGiuseppe did that on Saturday, every single player skated to the box as yeah. he was going to the bench and and fist bumped him. Lowry is a big. Boy. Yeah. Big oh, and yeah. I mean, took some courage. It did. That Phil was just courage. like, "Well, this is uh, not going to go well, but I'm doing it anyways." And it was awesome to see. That was, was really, penalty. really cool. That was a penalty, by the way. Like that was boarding. I mean, I know you guys. I know you guys. I didn't get that at all. And yeah. we we're like, "Oh, that's just a textbook clean hit." Like, no, it's not. I know yeah. you guys can discuss what? this really because yeah. you're talking about Petey. And... I, I I don't complain about the refs. Much. I know like, I don't like doing it. That's Halford's thing. So we do have that Myers thing, but whining element of the show this week. It was annoying though. I was there, and the refs did. Kind of start taking control a little bit, and it was irritating. Well, I think because he started to see the lost, lost, they control. lost control, yeah. and then they tried to 
uh, bring it back. Yes. And by that point, that and just then it was make up call, fall by make up right? call, fall by make. It's just yeah, it's, yeah. Whenever that starts to happen, it gets really aggravating when you're yeah. watching it because you're like, just let them play, please. I also yeah. thought it was kind of like a questionable instigator too, right? Like very the, much so. Yeah, like very much. Oh, like, so you, you know, know, you almost never see that called. It was bizarre to have mm-hmm. one. Like it would be one thing if, hey, we're calling the boarding. So we're also going to take you exactly. for the instigator. Yeah, yeah. But to miss the boarding and be like, nope, no problem here, and you're in trouble for the mm-hmm. instigator just felt really, really weird. Now, I do think, to use one of Tockett's favorite phrases, it probably is a good learning lesson because what there do we is. see repeatedly <laughs> in the playoffs is the refs lose control of games and yes. that get out of control and the emotional uh, you know, juices get flowing in, in situations like that. Somebody texted in, uh, I guess it's Gary, same old story, Canucks get pushed around when the stakes get raised. I didn't think the Canucks got pushed around on Saturday night, as you mentioned, like Phil DiGiuseppe's out there sticking up for his teammates. No, it was, was very well it was a was very well balanced of, game, I thought. There was plenty of physical pushback. Yeah. I think they might got have got let their tempers get away from them a little bit and get a little distracted from Or just got caught up caught up in the emotion of the game. Yeah. The, the crowd was Loving it. I was sitting there watching at home. I was loving it. A-Dog was – it felt like A-Dog was, like, cheering in the press box there. He was, I was he keeping was, my cool. He, he was, the teams he was, very quickly started to hate each other, though, yeah, and as yeah, soon yeah. as that happened, I was like, oh, my God, they would – both teams wouldn't survive a playoff series. Like it would just yeah, yeah. be awesome. If but Juleson Jul- chased that hit. He took himself mm-hmm. out of position. Yeah, it was. And then Garland was kind of like, "Oh, there goes the defenseman." Yep. <laughs> I'm not a defenseman. I'm not blaming the loss of the refs, by the way. I'm not at all blaming the lo- loss of the refs. Like it was just two bad but mistakes. I, yeah. But I, I like. I, I don't I, think I, it was them getting pushed around. I yeah. think it was maybe some composure stuff. But it mm-hmm. wasn't like, oh, no, they're, they're, no, they didn't get know, pushed they, around. They didn't get pushed around at all. They were right there, getting physically involved. By the way, I love. Talk it. Uh, I know Tyler Myers was complaining about the refereeing afterwards, but I, I felt I, like we were playing two teams. He said, "Yeah, but I love front when a head coach says like, hey, you just got to deal with it.' Yeah, because there's nothing you can do. Sometimes you're going to get the calls, and sometimes you're not. And I actually think, in a way, if you do that during the regular season, the referees will remember that, and they might give you the benefit of the doubt." In the playoffs, you don't want to have a label as a complaining, no. whining no. team. And you t- just don't want it. And, and you know, I brought up um, when we were interviewing Rick Tockett. Actually, I brought up the instance during the Blues run to the Stanley Cup, where there was a controversial call that went against the Blues. I think it was a hand pass that was missed, or something along those lines, and they lost the game. And Barube didn't go on a big tirade after. You know, the team, it was a, it was a, it was a tough loss for the team, but he's like, there's nothing you can do about it. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's like, it's over, it's gone. Like, what are you going to protest it? Like you can sit there and be frustrated by it and you can let it get to you. Um, or you can just move on and control the things that you can control. That is totally cliche, but it's also true. And that can happen between games in the playoffs or it can happen within a game where you let yourself, you're remembering the call and you're angry and you're letting it impact your play, and that's not what you want. And the good teams don't do it. The Blues were able to overcome a bad call, and they went on to win the Stanley Cup, and I think it was one of the best coaching jobs we've seen. And Tockett has been relentless, not just not complaining about the refs, but like complimenting the refs mm-hmm. early in the season there were multiple instances where people would ask him about the refs oh questionable call here's i thought the refs did a great job tonight was his answer like out of his way to praise the job that the referees are doing and i think that obviously that's tactical right you don't want to have the reputation 
uh, of a coach or a team who complains. I think it also comes back to what you're talking about, about just don't focus on it. Focus on what you can control. And especially, again, as I was saying, it's not like this is a one-off. It's not like this is an aberration where, oh, wow, the refs had a weird game tonight and things got kind of out of control. That happens all the time, especially yeah. in big games, especially between two good teams, and especially in the playoffs. So you can't avoid it. It's going to happen. You're going to be on the wrong side of it. Bad things are going to happen. Yeah. And especially yeah. with the refs. Like, we, we just – it's built in, and it – makes fans frustrated and it makes them pull their hair out and I get it mm -hmm. but that's how it is that's how NHL refs are they make bizarre calls they lose control of the game that's how life is and the players have to be <laughs> able to, to deal with it at a certain point um here's an unsigned text is quote-unquote sticking up for your teammate as Joshua did for Garland worth the weeks he is going to be out of the lineup guessing a broken broken finger yeah it is yeah it is because once you get to the playoffs you need to sacrifice for your teammates, and your teammates need to know that you're going to sacrifice for them. Uh, is there a risk to it? Yep. Mm -hmm. We're seeing it. The I was Canucks thinking missed, about that. The, the Canucks missed Dakota Joshua, but is sticking up, in my opinion, yes it is. And maybe I'm old school, maybe I'm a dinosaur, but I think that camaraderie is a big deal on a hockey team. Hockey is not that complicated a game. It's about winning puck battles, supporting your teammates, and going into the battle as a, a pack of wolves, really. And, you know, I don't know if wolves are known for sticking up for other wolves in their pack. Uh, I, I don't know the nature of all that, but probably. It's a fascinating question. I do, don't know. Do, do packs of wolves ever meet each other? And like, we're having a rumble here. I, 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 think, I, I don't you know. You want me to book an animal guy? I think my but, understanding is they stick pretty in their territory. They don't okay. They're like, this is ours, this is yours, we're just... Right. We don't have any interaction beyond that. Okay, so maybe that's know, a though. bad example. No, wolf packs stick up for each other. Okay. Yes, they do. So that's a good example. I, 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 I do think it's important. Yeah. Is there a risk to it? Yep. But I think you would want to have a team that does it rather than a team that turns the other cheek. Or even a team that goes like, we're going to let you do that, and we're just going to score on the power play. Mm-hmm. I think there are times when you need to do something to show the other team that you will not be pushed around. And if you do something to your team, this like one of your teammates, then there's going to be a price to pay for it. Now, there's a line. Yes. There's always a fine line. There's a, there's a balance in life. Everything's a balance. What Morgan Riley did when Ridley Grieg scored that empty netter, which was not so much sticking up for a teammate, but like sticking up for the honor of the crest, it went over the line. And it veered over that line into reckless, and he got suspended for it. But there's a lot of Leafs fans that love Morgan Riley for that. And maybe there's some teammates that love Morgan Riley for that. See, and maybe they can rally around that. But I think that is, as you said, there's a line. And I think a team that was actually – there's a difficult thing where you have to build – that culture first but once you've actually built it like i don't think there's any way an actually mentally tough like wolf mac wolf pack mentality team has somebody do what morgan riley does because they don't because to me that was morgan riley desperately trying to prove to everyone how tough the leafs are and how serious the leafs are and that's like the worst thing you can do to actually be tough yeah. and serious is be insecure des about it desperately yeah, right yeah. and i think sometimes there's this delicate process where you have to stick up for your teammates to build that, right? And to build that mentality in the locker room. 
But then at a certain point, I think the really, really good teams, the teams that have been there, the teams that have that culture, they know when they can turn the other cheek. Right. Yeah. But if, but if a team absolutely. like the Canucks does it, it mm-hmm. looks weak. Mm-hmm. And I find it fascinating because I think the Leafs are just so clearly in their head about it. Right. Where it's like most teams could just shrug that off, or maybe you go give Grieg a, f- a face wash, and then it's over. Or, you know, you you make sure you finish your checks on him uh, the next game. But the Leafs are so in their heads about it, they just completely lost the pl- the plot. I don't know where we're going to see the Canucks come down on that. I thought they handled Jake Wallman perfectly, right, mm-hmm. by winning the game, yeah. paying a little extra attention to him, but then mocking him as they were up right. 4-1. Like, that was absolutely perfect. Mm-hmm. The Dakota-Joshua thing probably helps, but you can't, like, sometimes I think teams and players mistake, okay, we have to stick up for each other, we have to be physical, with losing your head when things start to go bad, right? With, like, completely losing the plot Instead of trying to win the game, you're out there trying to prove how tough you are. And I think it's a really, really fine line. What did you think about Dakota Joshua dropping the glove? Yeah. He knows that that's his job, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and it, Unless you're saying a player should literally never fight, you have to accept the risk that comes with fighting. We know that's a risk. And look. And, fact, and part of it has to do with the Canucks having quite a comfortable playoff 100%. cushion. 100%. If right? they were scrapping for the playoffs, yeah. it might be a different story. I mm-hmm. did have to say, I was thinking about Dakota Joshua uh, when Adam Lowry was wailing on Phil DiGiuseppe's helmet, because <laughs> he had he threw a lot of punches straight to the bucket yeah. there. I was like, ah, that could easily break your hand right there, buddy. But mm-hmm. I guess he escaped uh, without injury. Uh, Joe O'Donnell is going to join us next. Believe it or not, the Canucks play in about two and a half hours against the Minnesota Wild, and Joe O'Donnell is the Minnesota Wild radio play-by-play. So we'll get a bit of a preview on how the Wild season has gone. It hasn't been all roses in Minnesota, but uh, they are playing some better hockey. So we'll find out the factors around this team as they host the Vancouver Canucks. It's a 1 p.m. start in Minnesota, 11 a.m. body clock time for the Vancouver Canucks and 11 a.m. here in Vancouver. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. The most opinionated Canucks show out there. Canucks Talk with Jamie Dodd and Thomas Drans. Be sure to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to Halford and Bruff here on Sportsnet 650. It is Jamie Dodd filling in for Mike Halford today. Halford and Bruff uh, brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today. Visit your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Also by Primetime Craft Beer, meticulously brewed for quality and taste. Primetime Craft Beer is full flavor without compromise. At a liquor store near you or visit the brewery to see how it's made 650 650 is the Dunbar Lumber text line. You can get your texts in. We'll do what we learned at 9.30. Shows uh, an hour shifted today, 7 to 10. So what we learned is coming up at 9.30. But it is a Canucks game day. They'll take the ice against the Minnesota Wild in just a couple of hours here in Minnesota on a holiday Monday. And uh, we are now joined uh, on the hotline, the uh, Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning hotline, the first call, the only call, uh, by Joe O'Donnell, Minnesota Wild radio play-by-play voice. Joe, thanks for doing this today. How are you? Good, thanks. 
Jason, Jamie, always good to be with you guys. Hope you're enjoying the day so far. Yeah, we are, and uh, definitely excited for some, for us, late morning hockey here. Uh, yeah. Wild, I know, you know, they, they lost their last game, but 7-2-1 uh, and one in their last 10, and it's been such an interesting season, obviously, with the coaching change, and it just feels like it's been a struggle to build momentum for the Wild, but, you know, seven wins in their last 10, what has been trending in the right direction for them? Well, it's a good question. Um, unfortunately for Minnesota, they put themselves in a spot where, you know, points in eight of 10 stretches like that, they're great, but they got to continue. Um, and it's almost not even good enough. There's just so many teams for them to leapfrog. Uh, you know, maybe Calgary's fading, Arizona, they might be cooked, but you've got Seattle, Nashville, St. Louis, Minnesota, you know, whoever else you want to put in that mix for basically one playoff spot. And uh, that's the reality for Minnesota. But to get to your question, you know, what's been going well for the Wild is probably the fact that everybody's been contributing. But at the forefront, their top players have been their top players. Matt Boldy has been excellent uh, this last stretch. Same for Kirill Kaprizov. Um, they've been playing alongside Jules eriksson who's uh, been Minnesota's most consistent player, and it's probably not even close. He's got 25 goals now in the season, one off a career high. Uh, he just does everything for this hockey team, speaking of Eric Sinek. And, and the goaltending's been, I'd say, probably improved. I wouldn't say it's been excellent, um, but definitely improved the, maybe from the start of the year. So I think those things factor in, and, and that's why the Wild have had some more success lately. But they really just they got to keep it going. This is a huge week for them. Vancouver in Winnipeg tomorrow, Edmonton and Seattle. I mean, if you don't win two of these games, uh, it's going to be a very, very tough hill for them to climb uh what has new head coach john hines done that you can point to that said this is different and this is better well different is um dean evison was extremely loyal and i don't mean that in a a bad way um but he he rarely juggled the lines he gave guys a lot of rope um john hines will change lines all the time in game he hasn't been afraid to make changes to the lineup, uh, winning or not. Um, I, the other thing I noticed is obviously John Hines put a greater emphasis on the morning skate. Make of that what you will. Dean Evison flat out hated him. He'd never have gone to the rink in the morning if it wasn't a hockey thing. Um, John Hines is on the ice with the team most morning skates, and they tend to be better than they ever were under Dean's watch. Again, I don't know if that's good or bad, but the biggest thing um, that I've noticed is you know, John Hines doesn't blink, doesn't wait nearly as long as Dean Everson did to make a move in-game, juggle lines, try to get different matchups. Uh, boy, a couple years back when the Wild had a really, really strong season, 100-plus points in the standings a couple years ago, I mean, you could pencil in their lines with your eyes closed for, I don't know, a two-, three-month span, it felt like. Um, I mean, it was Hartman, Zuccarello, and Kaprizov every single night that season, it felt like. Um, this year we've seen a lot of changing of the personnel in-game and game-to-game as far as who to employ with who uh, under John Hines. Tell us a bit about the young defenseman Brock Faber, 21 years old. This guy must be a legend in Minnesota. Born in Minnesota, was the captain of the Gophers, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Drafted by the Kings but traded to Minnesota. Um, Do you think he should... Like, if you were to vote on Rookie of the Year, would you vote for him or Connor Bedard? 
I'm biased. I see Brock Faber <laughs> every day. Um, and, and, you know, when you're like, hey, what's up with Brock Faber? I, my, my response wants to be, how much time do I have? Um, he's just, he's been that impressive. He's that good of a person. His leadership qualities for being a young kid from everything I've gathered are off the charts. Uh, what's crazy about Brock Faber is that he never ran the power play for the Gophers in college. And, you know, I don't know, a month or so into his NHL, first full NHL season, he had a couple games last year, out of circumstance, they're like, oh, let's try Faber on the power play. And he's been dynamic. So he's playing every situation. Uh, he's top 10 in the NHL in time on ice. He's pretty much right there with Bedard point for point. Now I know Connor missed a lot of time, obviously. But, hey, health is going to play a factor into any voting at year's end. Uh, so Faber has been just durable, outstanding defensively. His ability to join the rush and to see plays and make plays is, is second to none. And, yeah, he's the, the legend is just going to grow here because he is a Minnesota kid. Um, I just I don't know if people realize what a steal this, that trade was for Bill Guerin in the Minnesota Wild. Like, Kevin Fiala was the big name, right? He mm-hmm. goes to the L.A. Kings. But the Wild weren't going to re-sign Fiala. They couldn't afford him. And not only did they get a first-round pick from the Kings, but they got Brock Faber. And I know the Kings had a ton of defensive prospects. You know, like, I get it. But Brock Faber is going to be a 10-plus-year top-four defenseman in the NHL, and I don't even think that's up for debate. And, uh, and they got him for basically nothing because, A, Dean Everson couldn't stand Kevin Fiala um, with his turnovers and whatnot. He loved him. He coached him forever. But I think you know what I mean. He, he just he had had enough. Yeah. And the Wild weren't going to re-sign him to a $7 million a year contract anyway. Um, so to get a first-rounder in favor for him, like it's, I'm still mind-blown by it, and it continues to pay dividends every game. And if I had a vote, Brock Faber, definitely top five in Calder. And with the time Bedard's missed and Fantilli's missed and Leo Carlson has missed this year, if Faber stays healthy, he'd get my vote. Correct me if I'm wrong here, but you also have to understand the King situation there in that had he, he had made it clear that he wasn't going to sign with them, right? I don't know that, and maybe that was a factor, um, and maybe I shouldn't be so brash in saying what a steal it was for Minnesota, but um, and maybe Brock saw the writing on the wall that they had, you know, from Drew Doughty on down and this Brant Clark kid and all these other prospects, and you know what happens a lot these days in the NHL, guys look at a roster, and Minnesota lost Jack McBain to sort of a similar thing. He was a wild draft pick coming out of college. Um didn't like what he saw on the depth chart as far as getting a real opportunity. They shipped him to Arizona for a pick, and he's playing there every night. So it happens. I, mm-hmm. I just honestly, I'm not sure if that was the case with Faber in LA. And on Faber, you know, what, there's so many things that have been impressive about his season. And as you mentioned, you know, he's playing 25 minutes a night. He's played every game for the team. And we often think about you know a rookie wall coming at some point, and especially for somebody making the jump from NCAA, right, where you play you know 30, yeah. 35 games a year adjusting to the grind of the NHL season. I mean, have you seen any any slippage or anything like that, that he is maybe, you know, feeling uh, feeling the rigors of the NHL schedule a little bit? Yeah, maybe a game or two um, where you're like, oh, but I, I honestly feel like, guys, he set his standards so high that, like, when he's – like, the other night he ended up I, – I was surprised by this. He finished minus three. Didn't feel like that. He played almost 30 minutes again, you know, 26-something, like – Every night you just expect them to go out there and eat up penalty kill minutes to block four or five shots to factor into the offense. Um, he's already broken every single Minnesota Wild rookie defenseman record, and we still have you know 25 games to go. Um, 
he's just been that good, and the standard he set for himself is so high that, yeah, occasionally you're like, oh, Faber turned a puck over tonight. You, like, take a step back. Well, what's wrong with him? You know, <laughs> like, that's how good he's been. Um, and, I, and I, you know, I've kind of said that to John Hines as well. Like, there's a game where uh, I think it was in Tampa where he got caught behind the net or – and, and the Lightning score, and after the game, I'm like, you know, kind of, and John Hines is like, no, it's not really even on favor. Like, you know, these three guys didn't do this. So, like, sometimes when you even see a, a mistake that you go, oh, my gosh, like, there he is, a rookie, uh, a lot of times not even on him, and a lot of times he just shakes it off and he gets right back, you know, to his normal sturdy self so quickly uh, that it's been super impressive. What's the conversation in Minnesota like around Bill Guerin, Joe, and specifically the decision still, I mean, I'm imagining it's still being talked about to buy out Zach Parise and Ryan Suter because for almost 15 million of dead cap this year, still another year next year of almost 15 million and dead cap. And I mean, on the one hand, it's remarkable that the team has been as competitive as it has been in that stretch, given those buyouts. But you know, it's also just such a, a difficult thing to work around. Is that still a hot topic of conversation? And what's the kind of view on Bill Guerin and that decision in Minnesota? Yeah, I think it's, you know, it's always written about, right, any article about the Wild's long-term plan or who they might add at the deadline or at the start of a season where they're at, you know, roster-wise, always, you know, is that caveat, like, well, they still have mm-hmm. this year and next year, right? I mean, that's just the reality. Um, I give credit to the players, obviously, because they can't control it. What do they care? Like, they're trying to go out and win hockey games. But I also give credit to Bill Guerin because he hasn't blinked once on this. Uh, and even up top with ownership and Craig Leopold, like, there's no excuse. There's no, well, we have $15 million less to spend than everybody else, so we might as well just mail it in. There's none of that. Um, and I think that a lot of that comes from Bill Guerin, his desire to win, the fact he's won in the management world and obviously as a player. And he wants to win every night, no matter what. So they try and feel the best team they can. But the reality is, yeah, $14.7 million less to spend than every other team if they wanted to. Um, that's a pretty big, you know, piece of the apple that you can't get. And, and you got another year of it. But the Wild do have a lot of prospects that are hopefully uh, turning pro and or getting that proper development in the American Hockey League or in Europe right now. So the hope is, you know, I'm sure the champagne bottle will be popped at the end of next summer uh, when they're finally out of this cap hell, and we'll see what they can do with it because you're hoping Kaprizov is still in his prime and sticking around long-term in Minnesota, and you got some young players to play with them, and, and, and you go from there. I guess it's a tough thing with all these young prospects. You know, the, the Wild generally do have a well-regarded group of young players, both in the NHL but also – on the cusp of arriving in the NHL, but you don't want to rush those guys. You know, it's tempting yep. to rush those guys because you need to fill out your lineup and you've got the cap space um, issues that you do because of these buyouts to Suter and Parise. So how do they balance developing the young guys the proper way, but also recognizing that they could sure use some young, cheap labor? Yeah. Uh, having spent so long in the American Hockey League, I, I've seen a lot of organizations handle this differently. Um, the model that Bill Guerin goes with is probably what he saw in Pittsburgh and Wilkes-Barre-Scranton, which is you stay the course. Uh, the second you start giving guys opportunities before they've earned them, before they're ready, is the second you start just just the NHL. Um, I look at what the Grand Rapids Griffins and 
even Dallas and their their farm team in Cedar Park, Texas Stars. Like they have really good players spending a hundred plus games in the American Hockey League, and it tends to have them way more ready when the time comes. A couple of regimes back, and and look, I love Chuck Fletcher and his staff to death. I, I've worked with them for a number of years, uh, but they weren't as patient with keeping guys in the American League. I would say, again, my opinion, uh, my opinion, as compared to what Bill Guerin has done. Uh, yes, for Volstead is maybe the top goaltending prospect. Um, in, in the entire world. I think, you know, Askarov in, in Nashville, Milwaukee would probably argue with that. But, you know, Volstead right there for one of the top goalies that's not in the NHL. And he got one NHL game this year, nothing last year. And he only got the one game this year because the Wild simply needed it. Um, they had no other choice, really. So I think what you're looking at these prospects, you want to give them time. You want them to win in the AHL. If that happens, that's even a bonus. But the more time guys can spend there getting the ice time, getting the puck touches, in uh, Volstead's case, you know, making start after start, three games in three days, um, you know, the, the grind of the AHL travel, it only does these kids well in the future. Um, my opinion, but I, I, like this, I like the fact that the Wild have stuck with that patient approach with some of these kids and let them really grind away in the minors before they get a chance at the NHL level. Joe, you mentioned the uh, slightly at least improved goaltending for the Wild from the beginning of the year. And, of course, you know, lots of attention uh, on Marc-Andre Fleury this season. At 39, still pretty much an even split of games between him and Philip Gustafson. And, you know, his numbers are really slightly better uh, than Gustafson's when you look at it. What do you expect to see in terms of the workload split uh, from the Minnesota Wild tandem down the stretch here. Is there a chance that, you know, even at 39, Marc-Andre Fleury gets a chance to to take over and run with it a little bit here? He's earned it. He really has. Um, he has been the better goaltender. You mentioned the numbers. I, I looked at him the other day before the Sabres game, and I was actually kind of surprised that Gustafson still with that save percentage. It's, you know, right around 900. The goals against is inflated, and Fleury has really started to chisel those numbers down over – his last handful of starts. Now he got injured. Flurry did in Florida, um, had a concussion. He missed some time. Then you had the all-star break. But if you look at his last five or six appearances, they haven't all been decisions because he, you know, he replaced Gustafs in a game. He got hurt, didn't finish a game. Um, but his numbers are really, really good. And I think that bodes well for Minnesota. They, they need somebody to get hot, start stealing some games, especially when you're playing some of these top teams I mentioned earlier with Vancouver today, Winnipeg tomorrow. Uh, that's in Winnipeg, and then you got Edmonton and Seattle coming up. This is a big stretch for Minnesota, and they have to get great goaltending, um, especially when they're playing some of these teams I mentioned that are a touch stingier defensively. Uh, they might not score a lot of goals the next four or five games, and they're going to need to try to win games 2-1. to one. Uh, Flurry has earned it, and should he get more starts down the stretch, I wouldn't be surprised. Start of the year, it was kind of, hey, it's Gustafson's net. Uh, Flurry will certainly get his opportunity. He's going to pass Patrick Wise. He's going to hit 1,000 games. But as this year's moved along, as you said, you look at the numbers, and Flurry's numbers are better. So um, they need really Gustafson to get it going, the Wild do. But as long as Flurry continues to play like this, I think he's going to keep seeing starts down the stretch. And he said that if the Wild stay in the playoff race, he don't want to go anywhere, uh, which could obviously put his 17 straight years making the Stanley Cup playoffs in jeopardy should Minnesota fall short. Joe, appreciate the time. Thanks for joining us today. Enjoy the game today. 
Yeah, thanks, guys. Anytime. Take care. That thanks, Joe. Joe O'Donnell, Minnesota Minnesota Wild radio play-by-play voice uh, ahead of the Canucks and Wild coming up just a couple hours here. Yeah, it must be so tempting for the Wild with all that dead cap space to... To throw up their hands. and But, but rush the young guys mm. into the lineup. And he was talking about his experience in Pittsburgh. And I don't know if you know, but the Canucks are run by a yeah, couple of guys I've heard, that, I've heard that a little bit. things mm-hmm. in Pittsburgh. Some um, players, too, here. Yeah, and... Um, I think under the last regime, there was definitely rushing of players into the NHL. And I think it quite often came um, despite the head coach's wishes on it. I know mm-hmm. Willie Jardin was especially, um, you could tell he didn't want guys like Jared McCann and Jake Furtanen in the lineup as soon as they were. Well, and that's part of. But a lot of it was marketing. It how... was like, we've just hired the scout as a GM. Let's show off what we've got here. And how much have we heard the word alignment since Patrick Alvin and Jim Rutherford have taken over? And that's a prime example of what happens when you don't have that alignment, right? Yeah. Where the GM is motivated to do things that the coach doesn't like. And then what ends up happening is it's horrible for the player's development. Now, mm-hmm. In the case of Vertanen, I'm not sure how much it would have made a difference, but the Jared McCann story in Vancouver, I feel like could yeah. have been a lot different. The other guy that gets gets um, brought up sometimes is Adam Gaudet, and there were even head coaches down in the AHL that was like, that guy needed more time in the AHL. Mm-hmm. Now, whether or not he would have panned out or not, uh, he certainly wasn't overcooked in the AHL, and it brings us to our Steve Baines. Do you think we're going to see this guy? Uh, during this call-up. So Saturday against the Jets, probably not the time no. to bring in a guy like Baines. I know he, he got the skate, he got the warm-up skate, so mm-hmm. that was probably a cool experience for him. But against a team like the Jets in a big Saturday night game, I don't know if that's the time to give Baines his, his debut. debut. He's like, this is a really good team, and it's kind of a big game, so don't make any mistakes out there. Um the scratches, though, were Baines, Mark Friedman, who was the extra defenseman, and then Dakota Joshua was also a scratch because I guess he's not on IR. Yeah, technically, yeah. Uh, officially yet. So Baines is the only healthy extra forward currently with the club. So I don't know if there's I, – I da- listen, I doubt there's going to be any changes to the lineup today. Um you know, again, the Canucks did not play a terrible game, especially their supporting cast. Like, their supporting cast scored goals for them. Um, their supporting cast did fine at five on five, but st- I really want to see them. Yeah. Like, I, just out of a curiosity factor. And, for I, sure. and, and I'm not going to sit there and be like, I'm curious, so you should play he's him, right? Get like, in. he's still getting a good experience, uh, not to mention some extra money being up with the big club, but. You know, the the guys that you could bring out of the lineup are a guy like Sam Lafferty or mm-hmm. Phil DiGiuseppe, uh, Nils Amon. These guys are all candidates. Like, I don't put Hoaglander in that healthy scratch no. um, possibility anymore. Oh, you never know. Maybe it could happen again. But I think Hoaglander has generally, even though maybe he didn't play his best game against the Jets or wasn't at his most effective, he's been a lot more consistent in what he's brought to the lineup. And now he's got a much more important role because he's on a line with Elias Pettersson and Elias Lindholm. So you're not going to healthy scratch him. But um, I am curious about some guys down in Abbotsford. And believe me, I'm not begging for injuries to the Canucks. But, you know, I want to see what – steps Pod Colson 
has has taken, but maybe we'll just have to wait until next season you, for that. You just want bad things to happen at the Canucks. You've been pounding the table for adversity. Now yeah. you're calling for injuries. It's well, classic, it was so, classic Vancouver media. Here. It was so funny. Like when we came back from the All Star game, I kind of made like a flippant offhand comment. Like I kind of want to see some adversity just to see how they handle it. And then they went three one on one on a road trip, and people were like. Uh, that game in Boston was adversity That was adversity. Enough. They've checked yeah, the box. Yeah, that was enough. Yeah. This yeah, is all yeah. Bruff's fault. Blow, uh, blowing, Bruff. blowing a two-goal lead in Detroit. I am feeling adversity. On the Baines point. So, uh, our own Dan Murphy reporting that DeSmith will start for the Canucks. He also says Baines, Joshua, uh, Susie, Friedman, and Demko were the guys skating this morning. So, that's okay. obviously the group of players not playing. Now, he also says... Don't read too much to Susie and uh, Joshua being out there. It's the mentors trip. So I think they're just getting a, a skate in with with their mentors for this one. It's not a sign that they're close to returning or anything. I would be surprised if we see Baines unless they're either, either somebody has a really bad game and yeah. needs to come out of the lineup or there's an injury. Because the thing with Baines is, like if it was Pod Colson who they'd called up, I could see him getting in. Baines's game... I don't, it's not that classic, you know, crash and bang energy, physicality, bottom six player, mm-hmm. right? So I think if you're, I mean, he was a big time scorer. That's in the junior. thing, and yeah. he's a big, he's been a big time scorer in Abbotsford, running the power play. Like to me, he would be the cleanest fit in place of like a Connor Garland. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like bottom six offensive driver. Baines would be, yeah. yeah, Baines would be. You're, but you're obviously you're not taking Garland out of the lineup or anything like that. So I just think. If you were to bring Sam Lafferty out, you're not getting that kind of replacement physical mm. speed element from Arshdeep Baines. I think that's part of the curiosity for me because mm. I don't watch a lot of Abbots for Canucks games, so I, I don't know exactly what his game is. Yeah, you want to see what he can do, kind yeah. of, right? But I, I don't know that it's the cleanest fit to kind of find a spot. Well, hey, we'll put him in on the fourth line and see what he can do. Now, I will say the guy that I'm really curious about is, as we, you know, you brought up Phil, like Sam Lafferty, Phil Giuseppe, Ilya Mikheyev. It's not as if any of these guys are, you know, really on fire right now. I do wonder, Vasily Podkolzin, could he could he factor in in the playoffs even for the Canucks, right? Like if they want to leave him there, let him cook in Abbotsford, have that development time. But he has high upside really good physical tools, mm-hmm. all of those things. Like, if he has taken those have you steps. Wa- have you watched any? I don't watch a lot of yeah, yeah. games. So, but, like, but, but from what I've heard, like, he, he has taken yeah. his game to a higher level, and he better have because yeah. he was dreadful during the preseason. But I wonder if he could be an option in the playoffs. If he's taken those steps because he has that upside and that physical profile, if they let him have the development time, mm-hmm. could he be, like, a bottom six ace in the hole? for the Canucks come playoff time. We'll see. He's got a long way to go because, as you said, he was bad in the preseason. But as much as everyone talks about Baines, the guy I wonder about contributing this year could be uh, Vasily Podkolzin. You have to say something about Jan Pro. Uh, I sure do. Let me find it here. Thank yeah. you for throwing to me and putting me on the spot. Uh, the Jan, Jan Pro, the leaders in commercial cleaning and janitorial. If your workplace demands a clean environment, contact Jan Pro. For a free, no-obligation quote, visit jampro.ca. We'll take a break on that note. Kevin Woodley joins us next. We'll do what we learned at 930 as well here on Halford & Bruff Sportsnet 650.